Have you ever been to court and sat in front of a judge? It can be quite intimidating, to say the least. Did you know, if you have a legal dispute with somebody about something, you don't have to go to court to sort it out? In fact, there are plenty of alternatives you can take before the costly and stressful road of sitting in front of a judge. Law on Lydiard's principal, Paul Cott, joins me to discuss the different avenues available. Paul, what are some of the ways people resolve disputes without going through what you and your peers call it in lawyer land, a contested hearing? And why do people seek alternatives? It's very rarely in anyone's real best interest to actually litigate a matter unless they're a company or a business with plenty of money. That's the reality, unfortunately. Or they really do have a, a strong claim or they have some particular reason why they need to, to take the matter further. So because litigation just has so many disadvantages. So all these processes set, are set up to resolve disputes. Some of them are compulsory and some are not. So you've got mediation, conciliation, arbitration, which is, goes up the scale of formality. Then you've got expert determination, basically where the parties agree that whatever the expert says, they're going to respect his decision and um, consider it binding. And then you've just got negotiation, both informal and a bit more formal. So when I say negotiation, a bit more formal, in a commercial litigation context, sometimes people make offers in writing. And those offers are often pitched so that if the offer is not accepted, and it was unreasonable that they didn't accept it, there can be legal cost consequences. Mm-hmm. So that's the formal way. And then there's another informal way we just pick up the phone or just write letters back and forth, mm-hmm. have discussions. I actually did a matter fairly recently where the two lawyers got in the room with their clients and we reached a resolution. No mediator, just sat in the room and said, let's see if we can work it out. And we did. So that that happens? It does happen. And that's a really good way to go about it, particularly where perhaps if the lawyers know each other, because they trust each other. So there's some trust element to say, well, I believe that my client's got a strong case, says one lawyer. If the other lawyer receiving that hears that and thinks, well, I trust this guy, I know he's quite confident, so he wouldn't be saying that unless he had some good reason. And you can have a bit more of a frank discussion between the lawyers as well. So I think it's really quite worthwhile. And sometimes I notice that lawyers don't do that. And it's often make it a bit harder to settle when you turn up to a mediation and for the very first time you're speaking to the lawyer on the other side. Never spoken to him before, only ever corresponded back and forth. And I think there's a barrier there from the start that you need to break down. Whereas if there's been some discussion back and forth and some sort of rapport build up between the lawyers, then that barrier is down. And so that makes the mediation a bit more fruitful because you get to the heart of the matter quicker. But we all assume, rightly or wrongly, Paul, that lawyers are there not to mediate but to make money. Well, that that's right. And the lawyers, all we all have all different personalities, all different personality types. We all have different negotiating tactics. We all have different ways we run matters. But more and more, I'm finding that lawyers are, and this is a true to say that, that we're dispute resolution specialists. That's what we do. We have our clients who are in dispute and we resolve it. And I've had some really fruitful discussions with lawyers recently, um, in particular one where 
five minutes into the mediation, the lawyers took me, or five minutes before it was about to start, he took me aside and said, look, let's not get into the legal nitty-gritty today. Let's just see if we can resolve it. We won't argue about the law. We'll just get to the crux of the matter. And we did. We didn't settle it, but we got close. Well, that's great to hear. Now, do the courts, or say VCAT, have, as part of their legal process, uh, compulsory mediation or simply that the parties actually have to be part of it? Yeah, they do. They do. They have to be. Some courts have a situation where if you don't mediate, if you just don't turn up, then the other party can get judgment because it's then assumed by the court or the matter's not going to be defended. They breach the Civil Procedure Act obligation perhaps by not turning up and trying to narrow the issues in dispute. The court can sometimes just make judgment. That That's probably not so common. What often happens is that well, if they don't mediate, then now the matter is going to be outside their control and just go be listed for hearing. So it is a compulsory part of the process, but if you don't turn up, you know, there are consequences. Just on that too, a lot of people make the inquiry with me that, or say to me that when they're mediating, oh, I don't think the other party's even trying to negotiate, like they're just going through the motion. Unfortunately, there isn't generally a legal right or a legal obligation to negotiate in good faith at a mediation. You can just turn up and fairly much go through the motions without making it too obvious, because the mediator might have something to say. But there isn't really a specific legal obligation to negotiate in good faith at a mediation. You can just go through there and just go through the process. What is mediation exactly, Paul, and how useful is it as a dispute resolution procedure and process? Yeah, well, so what mediation is, is where the, the parties sit in the room they all sit there together, at least initially, with an independent third-party facilitator. That person is not there to make the decision. They're not there to say who's right or wrong. They're not there to make any orders or give directions or tell people what they shouldn't do or shouldn't shouldn't do. They're not there to tell them what the law is because if they've got a lawyer, then that lawyer's job is to do that. So what they're there is to facilitate the discussion. So that's the definition of mediation. You've got the two parties and then an independent third-party facilitator maybe with a lawyer in the room for each party as well. And it does really work. I don't know what the statistics are, but I think it's somewhere between 70 and 90% of cases of speaking overall, across the board, settlement mediation. Right. Mm. Well, that's great. Then there's conciliation. What's that and how does that differ from mediation? Yeah, well, sometimes a lot of people use those terms interchangeably. They're saying the same thing. And for all intents and purposes and the way that actually is run, they are the same. But the only difference is that with a conciliation, the independent third-party facilitator has expertise in the area. Say in the Fair Work Commission, the conciliator, they know the Fair Work Act. They know it. And they can say what the sections are, and they do sometimes say, well, have you considered section such and such? They're not giving advice. So that's the difference between conciliation. The person who's a conciliator has actually knowledge of some sort of technical area expertise. And then there's arbitration. Again, what's that? So then we're going um, slightly up the scale in formality. So that's probably somewhere between mediation and a court hearing. It does result in a determination, often called an award, an arbitration award. It's enforceable, but there's some differences. So you do get a decision and it's supposed to and usually does have pretty much the same status as a court determination. But unfortunately, some people don't quite treat it like that and just 
treat it as if to say that they've made a non-binding decision. But most arbitrations are binding. They're a little more formal. They're sometimes done in a courtroom, in a courtroom setting with submissions, barristers, cross-examination, examination in chief. But they're not quite the formality of a court hearing. Um, so, for example, one we, we did a couple of years ago where it was an arbitration where the arbitrator, the decision maker, was a barrister. And when he handed down his decision, he didn't call it a decision, he just called it an award. Are there any other forms of dispute resolution procedures people can use? Yeah, so um, probably the most common one I can think of is what's called expert determination. Say there's a building and construction type of matter and the parties are in disagreement as to a technical issue, um, some sort of building standard. And what they can then do is to say, well, let's agree on somebody who is expert in the area, might be a building consultant, and they'll make a, a decision or some findings and the parties agree in writing to then abide by that decision. Um, and then that will potentially resolve the dispute because it's that technical issue that is at the heart of the case. And then you've also got negotiation, which can happen at any time. I had a matter, I was briefed yesterday, and I negotiated um, already with the lawyer on the other side, all the way up to, as quite often happens, there's a, a negotiation that resolves the matter on the, on the morning of the trial. Negotiating with the other lawyer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They've turned up to court with their clients in the morning, and they've one of the parties or both have decided, hey, we don't want to go through this, let's resolve it on the morning of the trial, and that often happens because it's really only then that, that the parties then realise, well, hang on a second, we've, we've really got something to go through here. And we've got, say, just for, say, for example, five days of hearing, we're talking about $25,000 at least probably to the barristers and the solicitors, if not more, let's cut our losses now and get out. That quite often happens because the reality hits them smack in the face and they say, well, this is what's going to be involved, even though they've done a lot of the legwork already, it's quite often at the door of the court, is the, the old terminology. It's settled at the door of the court. So either settles on the night before or that morning, or even halfway through the first morning. They go and have a break and think, no, I don't want to do this. Maybe we're not looking so flash after all. Let's go and see if we can resolve it. And the offers go maybe a bit lower than what they were before, and then it gets resolved. What happens in the end if all the processes that we've just discussed, Paul, yeah. have been utilised but the dispute is still unresolved? Well, then basically it's taken out of the party's hands and that's the crucial thing that people should be aware of is that once it goes to a court determination for somebody else to make a decision, you lose that control. All you can do is make your arguments, but in the end it can go either way. Um, it's been said that litigation is a legalised form of gambling and in the end it quite often is because I've seen good cases lose, I've seen nearly watertight cases lose and I've seen bad cases win. So it's the outcome being so uncertain, maybe above anything else that really people need to bear in mind because you just don't know what's going to happen. Well, overall then, I suppose summing up, what are the disadvantages of these alternative or what are now called appropriate resolution processes? Um, so you've got the time that's going to be involved in getting ready and helping your lawyers get prepared for the case. Obviously, legal costs, stress. It's very stressful. I've had a few clients say, at mediation, this is really stressful. Well, that's nothing compared to a hearing. So you've got stress. You've also got your mind's focus is not on your family or your hobbies or your, your friends and all that type of stuff. It's, people find that it takes over their lives, and that's all they think about. So you've got that. And also, if you're a business person, while you're 
engaged in the litigation, in the preparation and seeing lawyers and so forth, and then actually at court, you're not in the business anymore. So you're losing focus on what's happening in the business, where it's going, working on the business and working in the business. We're not doing either of them, in a sense, if you're engaged in a litigation matter, because you'll find that so much of your focus gets taken away. So your whole life can sometimes be put on hold. So I think they're the main um, disadvantages and reminders to people that you know litigation is a hard, a hard slog. That's Paul Cott, Principal at Law on Lydiard. And that ends this episode of Lydiard Law. Any legal issues you'd like to discuss with Paul, go to lawonlydiard.com.au. Paul Cott and I look forward to discussing more legal issues next episode. Until then, I'm Chris Ashmore. Thanks for listening. Music